Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello and welcome. This is Hannah, your host of this week's Thinking Ahead. I'm joined today by Joe Beyer, who is an executive vice president here at GFK on the Consumer Insights team. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Thanks for having me in. Yeah, of course. So Joe and his team recently put together a syndicated report on the future of retail, how emerging technologies are changing the shopping landscape. So just to start off, um, can you give us just kind of three topics or findings that the study really focused on? Sure. Uh, happy to do that. Uh, before I get into that, I just want to mention um, a little bit about sourcing. A lot of the stuff we'll talk about today is coming out of uh, a lot of the syndicated resources that we use here at GFK. And I feel very fortunate to be able to track these kinds of trends and changes with an amazing lineup of uh, syndicated data sources. So we're going to talk from our Future Buy study, which is a pure shopping study. We also have a very large consumer life study that we have leveraged to provide some of this perspective. So I just want to make everybody aware that those are also available to our clients. Um, you know, if you have interest in some of these themes and topics and getting a little bit deeper on them. Um, but go back to go back to your question. Um, there's so much going on in this space right now. It's really kind of head turning. Um, and so we like to kind of try to keep on top of it for benefit of ourselves as well as our clients. And it's hard to even put it into three buckets, but there are kind of three macro trends that the study identified that capture a lot of what's going on that we think is really changing the face of retail. The first is this continued blurring between um, online and offline shopping activities and shopping assets. Um, shoppers have become very good at ignoring those boundaries and basically doing what they feel is most efficient for them in their own shopping regimen. So um, retailers have had to get better at also navigating that fluidity across those lines. Um, another big mega trend we're seeing is the the, the pursuit of the driving out of friction in any shopping experience. Uh, every year that we look at shoppers, they get less and less tolerant of having to do a lot of work and having to navigate a lot of friction around the shopping and purchasing experience. And now there's a real uh, you know battleground between uh, different retailers trying to be increasingly frictionless uh, and really to, to play to that energy uh, that shoppers are bringing to the table and the demands that they're making. And then finally, in a similar vein, uh, competitive um, arena between retailers has really become about fulfillment. Um, and we think about this as kind of last mile logistics and we see a lot of uh, innovation and a lot of energy going into the uh, compression of that last mile, you know, in terms of time. Um, and, and there's a lot of innovation again, that's playing a role there as well. So overall, I mean, you already touched on a, on a little bit, but what, if you can put it really shortly, do you think has really changed in terms of shopping behavior in the last decade with technology and competition and everything like that that's now in the marketplace? Well, I'll mention something that really cuts across all three of those themes that I just mentioned, and it really sort of hovers above them in a lot of ways. And if you wanna take sort of a decades long or a decade long look back, I don't, I don't think there's anything that's been more transformational than the emergence of the smartphone and the fact that so much shopping now is done on the smartphone, so many assets are accessed, um, you know, shopping apps, um, being able to do research on one's phone, uh, it's really just been completely game-changing. And again, there's a lot of 
things under that, that 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 has enabled. But I think if you had to step back and say, what's the one biggest thing that's changed? Uh, it's really the fact that shopping has gone totally mobile um, at this stage. Okay. Well, then what about, because of course it's all, all online, but we still have the brick and mortar stores. So in terms of brick and mortar versus the online, do you think that brick and mortar is still dominating or at this point has online overtaken? Yeah, well, it depends. Um, I guess like a lot of things, it depends how you measure it. Um, there's little question that from the standpoint of absolute, if you think about sort of the universe of consumer products, um, pick your number, but in the neighborhood of 90% of those are still sold through a uh, brick and mortar channel, physical retail, and only about 10 online. So there's a clear king in that lineup. Um, but if you want to talk growth rates, it's a very different story. Their online really is growing at much faster rates, um, usually double digit rates most years, whereas uh, a lot of the sales in brick and mortar are relatively flat. They may inch up a point or two each year, but the growth curves are very, very different as you would expect. So uh, at this point in time, physical is still very dominant, but if the, you know, if the trends, if the growth trends continue to play out, that, that will again be shifting over time more to the favor of uh, the online sales. Does it change at all from one category to another? When people are shopping? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, you know, we see more, there, there's kind of, think of it as a bit of a spectrum, and it's pretty intuitive, we think, um, that for purchases that are much higher involvement, higher risk, um, higher rain usually, higher price. Um, so think of things like, you know, the aforementioned smartphones or uh, apparel, uh, where and there's more involvement in finding the right thing to wear. Um, and other durables categories, those tend to just, uh, shoppers tend to reach for more online resources there. Um, they may not buy it finally online, but there's a lot more activity in collecting information. Uh, reading reviews is a huge activity in a lot of those categories. Um, whereas if, as you go down that spectrum to things that are lower priced, uh, bought more frequently, uh, bought typically with quite a bit less involvement in research. So think about, you know, packaged food and beverage products, um, you know, household cleaning products, those kinds of things. Um, you know, those are much more dominated by just in-store activity. And there are folks that do some research and some looking around on uh, online resources to make those decisions. But it's, as you could understand, people aren't generally uh, inclined to make that kind of an investment of time and energy for a purchase that has very little downside for them. So it tends to kind of follow that spectrum of involvement, price point, uh, frequency of purchase, and kind of go up or go down depending on where you're sliding on that spectrum. Um, we are seeing though that even some of those categories that are have traditionally been low involvement seem to be picking up some momentum um, on uh, with online activity. So it's still not a huge amount of the shopping experience for most people, but categories that, that we never would have thought would have really any online activity are demonstrating um, uh, increasing levels, and we think that's just kind of a, a shift towards people being more comfortable. It, it has to do with the smartphones we talked about before, because now everyone's walking around with a computer in their hand, so it's much more accessible. So access is part of it, and also people are just so used to going online and, and, and looking at uh, getting input for just about any decision they make in their life, and that's kind of bleeding over into categories that you know were shopped kind of mindlessly before. Now people are, have the ability to look at get some get some information and are doing so at higher levels, usually as we go year to year. I'm curious, does the study distinguish, because you've mentioned a little bit about how people will, you know, maybe go in a store but end up buying online, or 
they look at something online, but they want to go see it in person first. Does it distinguish that when people are using both versus one or the other exclusively? Yeah, um, we, we ask separate questions. For the purposes of at least the Future by Study, we make a clear delineation between shopping, which can include buying, but does not necessarily have to include a purchase. It can be just some of those um, information collecting activities we've talked about and the actual purchase. So we do look at separately where the purchase was made, either online or in store, versus where the research was done. And actually, you know, as you could expect in some of those higher ring, more durable categories, smartphones and some of the other ones we talked about in apparel as well, it actually kind of flips if you're talking about shopping or purchase, where the flip is, you know, for those categories, there'll be much more pre-purchase work done online. But when it comes to the actual purchase, there's still an inherent desire to want to kick the tires and get in there and look and feel and touch the fabric and do all the things that are very tangible and important to the purchase decision, but hard to do online. So um, we actually see a lot of categories like that that have a, a ton of online a pre-purchase and then the purchase tends to gravitate back into a store um, for those kinds of tire kicking opportunities. Yeah, it's amazing to hear just when you when you hear it out loud how complicated that purchase journey has become with all the technology that people use. Yeah, I mean we ask a lot. One of the cool things we ask about in the Future by Study is um, touch points and more importantly kind of things that influence, defined as things that influenced your final decision. And we ask that for each of these 20 or so categories that we look at and we can see um, a couple interesting trends there. One is that um, most people use some blend of both online and um, physical touch points. So in, in store, it could be something like a display or product information that was at the shelf. Uh, and you know, online, one of the things people really rely on heavily is our user reviews, both user and professional reviews. Those have really been rising very dramatically in the past few years of the study. And that, that's why we're seeing, you know, <clears throat> kind of these uh, whole industries have really sprung up in this space right. around generating reviews. And it's also... Oh, it's huge. It's also mostly user reviews primarily. And that's also, as you may are probably aware, being someone who probably uses reviews like everybody else, it's also put a little bit of a spotlight on things like authenticity of reviews. And people are now asking more critical questions about, okay, what's does this person really have a stake in the game? Do they have a, a dog in this fight? Or, or are they completely objective? And, you know, am I getting the straight kind of message right. for them? Um, and, you know, those are good critical questions to ask, we, we think, given the reliance on reviews and uh, how much of it is out there now. Um, so that's been an interesting one that's mostly online, um, you know, going into the decision process for a lot of people. Well, I want to get into the meat of the whole technology point of this, because of course, like you mentioned in the beginning, the amount of technology we use now and that retailers use to compete with their um, competitors is just incredible. So I have a list of just a few different types of technology, and I just want to call them out, and then you can kind of tell me what the data says. What is this like a lightning now. round kind of thing? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we're doing oh, a little lightning these. round. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna start with one <clears> that's pretty easy, because you touched on it already. Let's start with smartphones. Yeah, um, really has become the center of the shopping universe for, for many, many people. And again, has enabled tons of other changes um, that um, kind of sit underneath that. Uh, it's interesting that we looked across all, a lot of different categories. And as I mentioned, we were able to ask people questions about, we, we knew that smartphones were really um, you know, taking center stage in terms of shopping, but we also wanted to go deeper and understand exactly what people were doing on their smartphones. 
And part of it I already mentioned, which is reviews were huge. Um, they also were looking for pricing information, um, product information, just general information on a product as well as product availability. So there were four or five things that we were quite surprised to learn were uh, universal. So no, no matter if you were a millennial or a Gen Z or a boomer, those top five, four or five things were very, very common to everybody. So that was interesting because we didn't see that kind of convergence in a lot of the other data points that we looked at. We, we tended to see more differences than similarities in activities across generations. And this was one point where people seem to be in pretty universal agreement that these are the most important things that I prioritize when I'm shopping on my phone. So that's been interesting to peel that one back a little bit. Mm, okay. All right. So my next one is voice activated shopping. Yeah. The word I would use here is early. Uh, it's really early in the burn for this, um, but we feel like it's got um, you know a tremendous amount of potential longer term. Uh, obviously, it's mostly operationalized in you know through people's homes through devices like the uh, Alexa device from Amazon. Um, but not a lot is going on. We we look and see about um, probably sub ten percent. Um, penetration on someone at actually having made a purchase through their voice device, which is pretty low. Um, but we also think that it has a lot of uh, a lot of upside. People express uh, an intention and a desire to do this. And one of the things that, uh, if you think about voice as a shopping medium versus some of the others, um, voice has the real game changing ability to be in the exactly in the moment. Um, so think of yourself in the kitchen, maybe cooking something and. Um, you know, you realize you just use the last of the vanilla, for example, you know, you're making holiday cookies or whatever. And, um, you know, shopping through even the convenience of shopping on your phone, you still would have to put down your, maybe wash off your hands, go over and get your phone, put in your security code or put your thumb on it, whatever it was, go to, you know, go to your list or go to, you know, Amazon and buy it. And that's, that's not hard, but it's not in the moment where on a voice scenario, you could literally put down the bottle of empty vanilla and, you know, ask Alexa to buy that for you uh, in your next order, uh, which is, uh, we think, a game-changing level of convenience, that in-the-moment component. Uh, Because how many times have you sort of mentally noted, you know, you're cleaning the bathroom and you just ran out of cleanser and, oh, I got to go put that on my list, but you're not, you don't have your list with you and you you don't remember until you're in the bathroom again. (laughs) This ability to just... And I'm not, you may not have Alexa in your bathroom, so the example probably doesn't hold completely, <laughs> but you get the idea that this in-the-moment convenience is it could be you know pretty game-changing. So we think that's going to be a very big um, uh, forum for shopping, a, a, a medium for shopping in the not-too-distant future. What about in-store? Is there ever going to be, you know, when you walk in and you can ask, a, you know, something on the wall, hey, I really need some pink flowers, and then it tells you, please go to aisle three. Yeah, um... That feels like a very natural uh, um, application, um, and we're also, we were already seeing in market um, some kind of versions of that. Um, there's a actually a, uh, a beta test going on at, at Bevmo um, beverage alcohol stores in the West Coast, where they have uh, basically an Alexa-enabled whiskey display. So it's an end-dial display, and you basically can walk up to it and have a conversation with Alexa around your preferences and the kinds of things you tend to like or not like. And she'll have that conversation with you and answering a couple uh, pretty simple questions and process that information and spit out back to you a recommendation of, okay, these are the three or four bottles on this display. And she actually lights up the bottles, which is kind of cool. So the navigation solved for as well. You know, here's the ones you probably should look at given what we've, what we've been talking about. And, 
particularly for those categories where they may be newer or people may be newer to them and not know exactly what they want or navigating a final choice is a little more complex. We think it fills that niche, uh, fills that need very, very well. And uh, I'm not exactly sure where that test stands at the moment or how successful it's been, but that idea just feels very intuitive. And part of it is people, um, part of what needs to happen, I think, is people need to be more comfortable culturally with standing in a store and talking to an Alexa. Like they're, (laughs) they get it now in the, you know, they get it now in their kitchen and it's not an issue because they're in their own kitchen. But it's still a little weird maybe from some people to think about standing there and talking to a display. But I would, to that I would say, well, we never used to run around talking on our cell phones to apparently no one. And now everybody does that all the time. So it doesn't feel like a barrier that would be impenetrable, but it's going to take some time for people to prove the prove the um, the case you know the case out and to uh, understand the value and the convenience and the the ability will come I think after that um, to, to use it more broadly uh, next one is I guess gaming world meets shopping world but what about virtual reality yeah we think this is another one that's pretty uh, poised uh, to make some make some noise in the in the shopping space you know it's funny if you go back I don't know five or six years um, there was a ton of press about the sort of the two-headed beast called augmented reality and virtual reality, you know, making a huge impact on retail. And they were sort of talked about in the same breath and having the same potential. And what we've actually seen play out over the past, uh, over that period of time is that there are a lot more augmented reality, um, you know, things like virtual try-ons and other things that have become much more common. Um, and that's really gotten a very big foothold at retail, whereas uh, virtual reality has kind of lagged a little bit. And we think the reason augmented reality um, has jumped up to such a common and, and powerful technology is, you know, it rides on smartphones, right? I mean, all the apps, all the ways you would do augmented reality, almost all of them go through the smartphone, which, of course, we've talked about well, already multiple times in this conversation about how that's been such a shooting star and a rising technology um, and we think augmented reality has really been the benefactor of that. Now virtual reality from a hardware standpoint has always needed its own you know hardware not running just off a phone so it's needed a computer it's needed a headset it's needed a, the hardware has been clunk, much clunkier right it doesn't have the benefit of drafting off a smartphone um, but we think that's starting to change some of the new technologies that are being launched in VR are, for example, much more uh, mobile. They've eliminated the need for kind of a sidekick computer to be part of the total set of technology, and they run much more, um, it's much more elegant and streamlined, and we think it's gonna make it a lot easier for um, some creative retail applications to be more practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also like it for the potential, you know, every every year it gets a little more challenging for brick and mortar retailers to give people a reason to get off the couch and actually go into a store. Um, and so the sort of the bar for entertainment kind of keeps going up and up and up. And we think that as this technology becomes more accessible and uh, affordable and more creative minds go to the task of what do we do with it, um, we think that there's going to be a gravitation to it because it can really provide in some ways much more of a wow factor experience. The augmented reality stuff is kind of cool, but some of it doesn't have, you know, it's not as transformational and as kind of wow factor as some of the VR stuff can be. So we think there's some forces coming together that um, make that look like a pretty positive picture for growth of, of VR in the, in the stores uh, going forward. Right, so virtual reality would be more of the shopper the headset, experience. The totally immersed immersion, sort of, right? Right, versus uh, you know, you're not gonna put on um, glasses and buy something uh, while you're in the right. room. Right, or just like, like you know, on the AR, you might, 
you know, they have, there's, there's, um, famously there's, um, augmented reality in like a lot of dressing room mirrors, for example. So you can go in and try on, um, how would this top look in pink? How would it look, you know, it, it'll oh, wow. toggle through those scenarios without you actually having to go out and change into each new garment. So there's some cool stuff that's going on with it now, but it's not, it's a very different experience. It's more like, you know, try on how would this couch look in my living room. You can do all that kind of on your phone now through AR platforms, right. but it's far from sort of the, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm in a North Face store and you're going to put me on the side of Mount whatever, you know, in a climbing scenario. And I get to, there's a game, as you mentioned, right. as you kicked off, there's a yeah. gaming part of it too, kind of. So it's got a little more entertainment horsepower, we think, than some of the AR stuff has had, and which may make it pretty attractive to get people off the proverbial couch and into the store. I have one last piece of technology, and this is one I think we all need to know for our future Amazon packages, and that is drones. Are drones going to be giving us our packages someday? Um, probably not unless you're on a, something like a medical campus or some other very tightly controlled airspace. Um, there, this one is always fun. Um, the, it's fun to fall in love with this one because it's so futuristic. I think the reality, at least in the U.S., is that, you know, the FAA has a lot of stake in not cluttering up our, um, our airspace with tons of these commercial drones. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tended to see is there's uh, some geography in Australia that's got some regular drone traffic. There's a medical campus down in North Carolina that's agreed to kind of move um, mostly medical goods uh, across the campus. You know, but again, that's all very much in it, very controlled easy to kind of rope off airspace that they don't have to worry about um, all the uh, air traffic challenges and issues. And so I think my our take on drones is they're going to be used in very surgical and specific applications like that, or where we have tightly tight control of the airspace as well as high value, lightweight um, product, which you know medicines and medical devices would fit into that category nicely. So there will be some very specific use cases that we think drones will become much more commonplace or are becoming more commonplace. But for the, you know, the typical Amazon package that's probably typically quite a bit heavier, the, the weight to value is much higher um, and it's being delivered in, um, you know, most people live in cities now, so it's trying to be delivered in a much more densely populated area. Um, that's not really going to be, we don't see that becoming a super mainstream delivery method anytime soon, despite what Amazon's PR would suggest. They show the package <laughs> arriving at the suburban home very conveniently. Um, so probably not in the near future. Um, there may also be some um, ability to do it. So you say, well, okay, what if you live in Montana and you know you want to get the medicine out or whatever? That's fine, but the problem there is drone range. Um, I'm not a drone expert, but from what I understand, you know, the battery life and the amount of work you need to do to keep that thing in the air and moving um, suggest ranges that are pretty modest right now. Um, so if you are way out in Montana, while a drone might seem like a great solution, the technical realities of being able to reach you um, are probably not great. So um, fun to talk about, but not really carrying much of the delivery burden, we don't think, in the near term. Probably a relief to some and a bummer to others. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depends where you sit, right? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Joe. I have one last question to ask you before we um, finish up here, and that is thinking ahead. As either a retailer or a consumer, what should I be looking out for? Where should I invest my time in in the future of retail? 
Yeah, there's a couple things that um, are actually, even since we did the study, are kind of emerging and, and taking on quite a bit of energy. Um, you know, one, one a little sexier and interesting than the other, but both we think worthy of watching. Um, I'll start with the not so sexy one, which is, um, you know, this this continuing tug of war around data privacy and you know who owns the data and what do uh, retailers have a right to do or what have they been invited to do by you know shoppers who essentially want to own their own data but don't today, um, and that whole um, that whole tug of war we think is just going to get a lot more interesting. Obviously, um, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which just went into effect this year. Um, is starting to uh, make it much, the, the, the rules are becoming, are hardening up a little bit in terms of what folks are going to be able to do. And of course, GDPR went into effect over in Europe in 2018. So that's already starting to transform. So there's a lot of moving parts right now and how that's all going to work. And um, how do I even know you're in California if I'm under that act? And, you know, um, so I think the industry is really going to be going through some transformation in terms of what's what's fair, what's fair play and what's kind of outside the boundaries of how they're handling privacy. So that's one that will continue to play out, I think, with some increased energy now that some of this regulatory stuff has landed. And then the one that's a little more fun um, is the uh, the rise of, you know, we talk about e-commerce all the time. There's now sort of a type of commerce that's on the rise called re-commerce. At least that's the term I've heard for it. But it's basically the idea, sometimes also called, you know, a circular economy model. Uh, but it's basically this idea uh, under the banner of sustainability of not just buying something, using it, and then throwing it out, but rather either recycling it or upcycling it or you know, harvesting the materials for other uh, new products and um, therefore making a much better uh, footprint uh, environmentally. And there's a lot of particularly younger generations for whom sustainability is really key. We're seeing them really come to this in areas like apparel, for example, uh, you know, hanging on to things longer. Um, I saw a talk yesterday by someone from Patagonia where they actually have created a whole separate business unit under their brand to, um, you know, both recycle these things, resell them, recondition them, repair them, um, buy them back from their current customers and, you know, then resell them to others. So um, and and we also saw um, there's been a lot of press around this same concept in packaging. So the idea of more the old milkman glass bottle coming back, you know, for things like ice cream and metal packaging for deodorant and uh, products that were, you know, I think in the past seen as extremely disposable now are going to be uh, available to consumers in a much more durable, reusable fashion. And I think that's it's all pretty small now. But again, like some of the things we've talked about, like voice, we think um, there's a lot of pent up energy and a lot of potential because of the way things like consumer trends, you know, manufacturers have really jumped on a lot of this, too. Uh, in the packaging department and some good things coming together. We think that makes a space worth watching both for businesses and brands as well as individual shoppers who may want to just, you know, be better environmental citizens overall in terms of the consumption decisions that they make. Awesome. I'm definitely going to be looking out for all of that. Thank you again for being here. I know that there's a lot more information. Uh, we just kind of scratched the surface of this. Um, you've done a few presentations. I am going to link one of the presentations below in the description. So if anyone wants more information or to see some more visual graphs with the numbers, feel free to just look at that and click on the link. And now our closing segment, Listen to This, where we'll share some fun facts pulled from our studies across GFK. Today, we're joined by a colleague from MRI Simmons. What are we more addicted to, shopping or social media? 
Well, they may be one and the same because listen to this. In the past six months, 27% of U.S. adults have made a purchase directly via social or as a direct result of something they've seen on a network. That's almost 66 million people, 58% of whom are women. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.